Good morning, Hallmark. My name is David Winger. I serve as the associate pastor here at this great church, and it's good to see you this morning. And I cannot begin without saying God is good all the time. Do you believe that today? Do you really believe that today? It's been quite a year, hasn't it? Quite a year, leading to quite a month, leading to quite a week. Been pretty crazy. Some of you right now are really happy. Some of you right now are really sad. Others are very confused. And I'm so glad that in times like these, we have a place where we can go, where we can see a timeless truth and find out what to do. Aren't you? You see, here at Hallmark, we do not stand on the promises of politicians. We do not stand on the promises of platforms. We stand on the promises of God. And the promises of God are found in God's holy word. You see, we believe that God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. And God's book is his revealed will to us. You want to find the will of God? It's in the word of God. And this is where we turn when we don't know where else to turn. This is where we find out what to do when we don't know what else to do. This is where we find out what to believe when it's confusing as to what to believe. And I'm so thankful we have God's word today. We believe that every word of it is inspired by God. It's God speaking to us. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe every time we open the Bible, I believe what Zechariah said in Zechariah 12.1, this message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundation of the earth, and who formed the human spirit. I believe every time we open this book, God can speak to us. Do you believe that? And so in this confusing time where some of you may not know what to do, we're going to look at the shortest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 117. And when Pastor John challenged you earlier this week to memorize chapter 117, you were like, a chapter? Wait a second. You know? But then you found out it was only two verses long, and you said, I'm in. I'll do it, okay? And so Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in all the Bible. So if you've ever wanted to memorize a chapter of the Bible, this is it. If you've memorized it, I'm going to have you quote it with me. If you have not yet memorized it, it's on the screen. This is the New Living Translation. Some of you have asked. And I found this translation really easy to read and understand. It doesn't have a lot of the big, fancy, old English words that we sometimes see in Scripture. These are straight-up words that we can understand. So this is the version that I memorized it in, and I'll be preaching from this text today. So if you don't know it, look at the screen. If you know it, look me in the eye. Keep me accountable, because I memorized it. And I'll keep you accountable, and I'll call you out if you mess up, okay? Here we go, Psalm 117, we'll just say Psalm 117 and then we'll start the psalm, ready, here we go. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever, praise the Lord. How many of you got it? Okay, I saw Rhonda back there laughing, I'm not quite sure. She was word perfect on that one, but I'll, I'll let you pass, okay? Psalm 117, and my outline this morning is also a Bible study method that I want to equip you with for Monday through Saturday. You know, we believe that you should read your Bible, 
and I wake up every morning and I'm on a daily reading plan. I use the YouVersion Bible app and it tells me what to read so that I can make it through the Bible chronologically uh, through the year. I encourage you to do that. But you need to do more than read your Bible to grow in your faith. You need to study your Bible. That means slow down, look at a specific passage, find out what it's saying. Find out to whom it was written, what it says, what you're supposed to do, how to apply it, because it's in the application of God's Word that we find transformation. So I'm going to give you a tool to do that. It's a real simple Bible study method based on six questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Okay, we use those questions all the time. And in fact, I didn't know this until this last week, but my wife Dawn said, Honey, you realize that there are highlighters for Bible study that come in a six-pack and every color is for the question that you just asked. I was like, get out of here! <laughs> sure enough, I look them up. Here they are, Amazon. You can find them on Amazon. Like six bucks. By the way, I'll give this pack away to somebody at the end of church. Just come see me, I'll hand it to you. But you can highlight answers to the questions who, what, when, where, why, how in your Bible in a specific color. And so this will really help you grow in your faith. I'm going to hand those out today. So the first point of my outline today is the question who and we're going to ask the question who to this text who does this text apply to who is this for who is this addressing well the question's answered in the first verse all you nations all you people of the earth now i had to go to seminary to discover that the word all means all and that's all all means isn't that great that was worth what i paid for seminary right there all means all that's all I'll mean. So all you nations, that means America, Afghanistan, Australia, the Bahamas, Bangladesh, everywhere in between, democratic nations, socialist nations, communist nations, uh, new nations, old nations, nations at war, nations at peace, na nations that are wealthy, nations that are poor and all between, all nations on the globe. This is for you. The word of God is universal and its application. It's for everybody. It's not just God's word to the United States of America. It's God's word to the world. That's why we're working really hard in translating it to every heart language of every nationality on the planet. So it's all you nations. And in case you, you think that doesn't cover everybody, it says all you people of the earth. If you're a people, that's you. It's not just those people, it's you people. It's red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in His sight. And this passage applies to us. It's rich people. It's poor people. It's old people. It's young people. It's all people. And I like how it says people of the earth because if it just said people on the earth, then people on the space station wouldn't have to obey this <laughs> command. People that are in a space shuttle uh, flying around wouldn't have to obey this command. People walking on the moon would be exempt but it says people of the earth, not people on the earth. So all people are of the earth. And so who is this talking to? Everyone, everywhere, that's who. All nations, all people. Second question, what? What? Praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise the Lord. The word praise is the Hebrew word halal. It means to exalt, to lift up, to worship, to esteem. It's exactly what we've just been doing the last 20 minutes in, in worship. It's praising him, exalting his name. That's another thing we do here at Hallmark. We lift up the name of Jesus. His is the only name worthy of our praise. 
and our worship. And so everything we do, everything we sing, lifts up his name. Praise the Lord. And notice that word praise is repeated three times. I know all of you have counted up here to see how many words are in this passage. Okay, am I the only one? Anyway, there's 30 words in the New Living Translation in chapter 117. Three of the 30 are the word praise. That's a tenth of this text. That means praise is a tithe of this text. A tithe is the first, the best. And it starts with praise. It ends with praise. This praise is the, is the point of this passage, in case you didn't know. And it's what we're supposed to do. But who are we supposed to praise? Anybody? I circled it for you. The Lord. Some of you in your Bible have the word Lord in all caps. That means it's referring to Jehovah God. This is God, creator God, the God of the heavens and the earth, the God of Israel, the God who formed everything, who said, let there be light, and there was light. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He made woman, and he put them in the perfect place, and, and because of sin, he flooded the earth. Do you remember that story? But he called Noah to build an ark and save uh, mankind through his family. It's that same God. It's the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. It's the God who sent prophets to the nation of Israel. It's the God in the New Testament when Jesus come up out of the water at his baptism who said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's that God. He's the Lord. He's the one we're supposed to praise. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm not going to ask you to make him Lord of your life this morning because he already is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. He is Lord. Now you can submit to it now. You can submit to his lordship now, and you'll be much better off. But eventually, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are to praise him as such. You say, well, you can't tell me what to do. No, I can't, but God can. And God said, praise the Lord. He deserves your praise. He's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of our praise. So who? All you nations. All you people of the earth, what? Praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise the Lord. The next question is when? Well, as you look at this passage, you can't really see a when. You kind of get the idea that it's inferred, praise him now, because praise the Lord, not later, but like praise him. And so you think it's now, but you know, when can refer to time or circumstance. And so as you study the scriptures to find out when you're to praise him, because that's good Bible study. If, if you ask a question of a passage and it doesn't explicitly answer that question, you have to look elsewhere for other counsel from Scripture. Does it say something about this somewhere else? And so you look somewhere else and you discover Psalm 113.3 where David says, From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. That's, re that's in reference to time. That means when you're conscious, when you're upright, when the sun is up, praise him. Praise him. That's time. When? Well, we praise him when we're awake, when we're up and at him. But when also refers to circumstance. You see, there's good times 
and there's bad times. And I would say that all of us would agree that it's good to praise God in the good times. Would you agree with that? When you have money in the bank, when all your needs are met, when you're healthy and you feel strong, when your kids are making good decisions, you know, and actually listening to your instruction and guidance and they're doing the right things, that's a good time. And you're supposed to praise Him. God, thank you for this. That's a good practice. Every night before you go to bed, just start thanking God for the good things in your life. The old song, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. God, thank you for this house. God, thank you for this bed. Thank you for this soft pillow. Thank you for this best friend that I have laying next to me. Thank you for our beautiful kids. Thank you that there's food in the refrigerator. Thank you for AC, God. Thank you for AC. I'm wearing plaid today. I'm really thankful for AC. But we can praise Him in the good times, but then the Bible has a lot to say about praising God also in the bad times. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in shackles with their hands and their feet. They had been beaten for their faith. They don't know what's going to happen to them tomorrow. In all likelihood, they could lose their lives because of their faith. And what did they start doing? They started praising God. Read about it in Acts 16. It's an awesome story. They begin to praise God in the bad times, and God shakes the prison and sets them free. It's a, it's a powerful story. But also in Psalm 57, we find David, who authored many of the Psalms, he's hiding in a cave with a bunch of bandits and thieves running for his life from people that want to kill him. That's not a good Monday. And he's hiding in this cave, and he's afraid for his life, but we see even in that place, when he's in the cave, he chooses to praise the Lord. So it's in the good times, it's in the bad times. An extreme example is Jonah chapter 2. Do you remember the story of Jonah, the prophet who runs away from God because he doesn't want to obey him and go preach to the, to the city of Nineveh? Well, God has him swallowed by a great fish. And in Jonah 2, you read that Jonah is in the belly of a great fish under the water, and even there, he praises the Lord. You probably had some bad weeks in your life, but you've never woken up in the belly of a giant fish under the water. You've never had to muster up praise inside of a great fish. But the Bible says, yeah, you're supposed to praise him there too. So when do we praise God? We praise him when we're awake, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. We praise him in the good times. We praise him in the bad times. But where do we praise him? Another question, who all you nations, all you people? What? Praise the Lord, praise him, praise the Lord. When? Well, it looks like whenever. Where do we praise him? Again, this, this isn't really indicated in the text. Maybe it's intimated, but we have to go somewhere else and ask that question from other Bible passages. And I'm so glad for John 14, because in John, or John chapter 4, I'm sorry. In John chapter 4, we have a conversation that's recorded between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well. And he's trying to reveal himself to her so that she can be saved from her sin, but she's She's kind of, you know, avoiding his questioning, and so she, she brings up some issues. She says, you know, uh, Jesus, let's talk politics for a second. She says, your people, the Jews, say that we're supposed to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. But my people, the Samaritans, say that we're supposed to worship God on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And Jesus says, there's coming a time where that's not going to matter anymore because God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what Jesus was essentially saying to her is, you worship God 
wherever God is. He's a spirit. Where is God, everybody? He's everywhere, right? How do we know that? Because David said in Psalm 139.8, he said, if I ascend to the heavens, behold, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, even there you are with me. God is everywhere. So where should we praise the Lord? Everywhere, wherever, right? Wherever God is. Not only that, but yes, God is everywhere because he's spirit, but he manifests his presence in a particular place among those who believe in him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you? You are the dwelling place of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So I guess you could also say that you worship God not only where, wherever he is, but you worship God wherever you are because he dwells within you. You can praise the Lord no matter where you are, the highest mountain, the deepest, darkest valley. You can worship God at work. You can praise him in your car. You can praise him in the shower. God's probably like, thank you very much, but well, uh, I'm just kidding. You can praise him wherever. You can praise him in the pew. You can praise him at Papa John's. Wherever you find yourself, wherever God is, wherever you are, you can praise the Lord. So who? All you nations, all you people of the earth. What? Praise the Lord. Praise him. When? Whenever? Where? Wherever? Why? Now this question we're going to spend a little bit more time on. And I love this passage of scripture. Because we need to be reminded of what is explained here. You know, why is, is the question that reveals motive. It exposes meaning. You know, when, when kids are born, it's almost like they're, they're asking the unspoken question, who are you? You know, when they're looking at you. You know, I love seeing the little ones come to church uh, for the first time because they're just kind of looking at you like, who are you? When all four of my kids were born, I felt like I had to introduce myself. You know, when I first saw their face and when I saw their eyes, I said, hello, I'm, I'm your dad. This is your dad. And they said, it's very nice to meet you. No, <laughs> they just stared back, you know, and I wonder. But they, they asked the, the unspoken question, who? But when they can start crawling around and talking, it's what? What is this? What is this? What is this? I want to touch this. What is this? That's why you have to plug up all the outlets. That's why you have to secure all your cabinets because they're wondering what this is. What does it taste like? What does it look like? And they're grabbing stuff. But then they graduate to the question that stumps all parents. Why? Why? How many of you are in that life stage where your kids constantly and incessantly ask why, right? You find out how stupid you really are. You discover that you really don't know why. Uh, you, you don't know how to answer half the questions they ask. Why does the sun rise? Why does the sun set? Why do those people look so different? You know, I don't know. Why are we eating this? I'm not really sure. Why can't I have candy for breakfast? Well, I don't know. I'll just tell you what I've heard. I, we, we get stumped with the question why because it reveals motive. It reveals meaning. And so when we ask the question why to this passage of Scripture, it tells us some amazing things. Why should everyone everywhere praise the Lord whenever and wherever? Here it is, verse 2. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Let's break this down. Let's talk about his love for us. I underlined it, and I even put a big heart around love for you, okay? His love for us. God's love for us. Think about that for a second. The God who created everything we see, 
the God who made us for himself. That God, the master of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the one who allows your heart to beat this very moment and allows your lungs to expand so that you can breathe. That God, he doesn't just know you. He doesn't just put up with you. He doesn't just like you. He loves you. Think about that. Let that sink in in your mind and in your heart. You will never be unloved. Never. How do I know that? How can I say that? Because he loves us. And his love for us is unfailing. It is active. He's always pursuing us. He's always providing for us. Even in our sin, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. If you need to be reminded that you are loved of God, look at the cross. That's the symbol of God's love. That's why it's the symbol of Christianity because it demonstrates God's love for us not just his tolerance, but his love for us. My mom used to have a plaque in our house, and it said, I asked God how much he loved me, and he stretched out his arms and died. He said this much. It's powerful. It's true. God loves us. But, but it's not just the fact that he loves us. It's the fact that his love is unfailing. His love for us is unfailing. And I underline the word unfailing with kind of a squiggle, ups and downs, because through the ups and downs of life, God's love for us never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. You remember that worship song? Okay, I just had to, it was stuck in there. It's up and down, through the up and downs of your life, God's love is constant, and it never fails. I looked up failing in the dictionary, and it says, Failing is a flaw in conduct, character, or ability. Failing is a flaw in conduct, character, or ability. We've seen failings, haven't we? We've seen moral failings that, that exposed a flaw in character. We've seen mechanical failings, right, that revealed a flaw in ability. We've seen failings all around us all the time. We're conditioned to expect things to fail. Anybody that says this is foolproof underestimates the ingenuity of a fool, right? Because things fail. We live in a broken world. Things are going to break eventually except God's love because God's love is unfailing. Why? Because God's love for us is attached to his character, his conduct, and his ability. And so for God to stop loving us, he would have to stop being God. Do you understand that? So the God that knows you best loves you most. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you more. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you less. His love for us is unfailing, but it's also powerful. And I used a pink lightning bolt for powerful so you wouldn't forget it. God's love is powerful. It's so powerful that nothing can separate us from it. That's how powerful it is. Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he said, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, think about our present right now, there's nothing in the present that can separate you from God's love, nor things to come, that's tomorrow, that's next week, that's next month, that's next year, that's the next thousand years, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful. That's why we praise him. Because of his unfailing love. It's powerful. It never stops. And that deserves our praise. But there's another reason why we praise him. And that's the second part of verse 2. It's because of the Lord's faithfulness that endures forever. His faithfulness endures. What does God's faithfulness endure? Our unfaithfulness. I don't know about you, but my faith is fickle. Man, I'm flaky sometimes. I'm up, I'm down, I'm in, I'm out. I feel saved this day. I don't feel saved that day. I feel like I'm doing a good thing and I'm being a good Christian one day and another day, I just, I don't feel like it. I'm not feeling it. My, my faith is fickle. I am faithless at times. Totally faithless. But he is never faithless. He is always faithful because it endures forever. You know, I grew up believing what most world religions taught. That as long as I am faithful to God, he will be faithful to me. In other words, that God's faithfulness in my life was dependent on my faithfulness to him. Not true. The Bible teaches the opposite of that. The Bible teaches that when God extends his hand of salvation and grace, and we extend our hand in faith, believing that he takes a hold of us and he will never let us go. We are secure in the grip of his grace forever because his faithfulness endures. Even our unfaithfulness, he will never let us go. When all four of my kids were really little, we insisted that they hold our hand when we crossed the street or when we walked through a parking lot. You know, you never know when somebody's just going to blow through a stop sign or somebody's going to back up without even looking, especially Walmart. Man, it's a dangerous place, inside and outside. But that's a whole other thing. But we insisted that they hold our hands. And, and, you know, there were days when my children gladly took my hand and held my hand. They enjoyed it. They would swing our hands, you know. It was nice. But there were certain days where they didn't want to hold my hand. And I would grab a hold of their hand, and they would do this number, you know. Their hand would go jelly, and they'd turn into a fish. They'd kind of hang like this. And, I'd, but, and they would let go of me, but I never let go of them. You know Why? Because their safety and security was not up to them. It was up to me. Because I was their dad. And I loved them and I was stronger than them. And I knew what was necessary. And I was hanging on to them. And that is God's faithfulness to us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, He said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life. How long is eternal? Eternal, right? And they shall never perish. Never those are trick questions. I guess you guys needed one more cup of coffee before you came in. Eternal life, they shall never perish. And then he says, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch, snatch them out of the hand of my Father. I and my Father are one. We are in the grip of God's grace. His faithfulness to us endures forever forever. That's why we praise him. You see, it's not our faithfulness, it's his faithfulness. That's why the hymn is entitled, Great is Thy Faithfulness, not Great is My Faithfulness. And I'm so thankful for that. 
There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Will you sing that chorus with me this morning? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. He is so faithful, and it endures our faithfulness. He's so good. Who? All you nations, all you people. What? Praise the Lord. Praise him. When? Whenever? Where? Wherever? Why? Because his unfailing love for us is powerful, and the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. One final question. How? How? How do we praise him? Well, it's not really indicated in this passage, and so I'm going to read another passage where it is. Psalm 150. You can turn there if you want. It's the very last psalm in the book, Psalm 150, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Here's the how. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Right? Ah, Praise Him with strings, praise Him with pipe, praise Him with sounding cymbals, with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everybody, breathe in, breathe out. Praise the Lord. How do we praise Him? However we can, with whatever we have. A lot of those things are on the platform today. I'm trying to talk been into giving me a fish-shaped tambourine so I can cut loose on the front row. But so far, it's not been in the budget. I don't know. It's, anyway, I'll still keep asking. But it says praise him in the dance. I would never cut a jig up here. I can't dance. But I might in private for God. You can praise him. David danced mightily before the Lord. It embarrassed his wife. It would embarrass my wife. But we can praise God however we can with whatever we have. Colossians 3, 17 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, you praise him with your moves, you praise him with your mouth, you praise him with your motives, you praise him with your lips, your lives, the things that you love, every part of you, however you can, with whatever you have, you praise the Lord. A lot of you say, I can never get up here and sing. I can't play an instrument. I can't praise. That is a lie. You can praise him however you want with whatever you have. You can praise him serving coffee. You can praise him greeting people as they walk through the door. You can praise him changing somebody's diaper. In Jesus' name, whatever is done for his name and his glory is a way to praise the Lord. Don't settle for less. Praise him. Praise him in the good times. Praise him in the bad times. Praise Him when your team wins. Praise Him when your team loses. Because by the way, life is not always comfy, but He is always worthy, right? Amen. A lot of people are afraid. Well, what's, what's going to happen now? 
you know, part of me cares because I live here and my family lives here. But honestly, whatever happens, God does not change. His word is still true and our mission is still singular. Make disciples. There's no qualifiers. Praise God unless. Praise God until. Nowhere in the Bible. We praise Him in prison. We praise Him when we're prosperous. We praise Him in the belly of a fish under the ocean. You can't stop a person from praising because it's not supposed to be based on our comfort, right? If praise were based on our comfort and how things were going with us, we're not praising God. We're praising ourselves. We're supposed to praise the Lord. He's the one who has an unfailing love that's powerful. He's the one whose faithfulness endures forever.